When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. And what's up, what's up? Wes Mitchell, Chris Clark here, GC Live, talking about the Gamecocks 31-27 to 27 loss at the hands of Tennessee on Saturday. I almost, Chris, called this show uh, the autopsy of the <laughs> Tennessee game. Yeah. Um, which I think is – I still think it's fitting, but um, I didn't know if anyone was going to get upset if I if they saw that tweeted out as the title. But, um, yeah, so basically we're going to go through the game. I, I know from what I've seen on Twitter – what I've seen on Gamecock Central. Everybody upset, rightfully so, a loss. So whatever you got to say, throw it in the chat. Get uh, get it off your chest. We're going to have a uh, sort of a, a little uh, therapy session here as we go through both why the loss happened, you know, why it happened and sort of what it means. And if there are some positives that we can take away, I would say um, – you know, Chris, as we dive into the game here, we are, of course, GC Live daily, live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. He's what I'm Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. Uh, it's been a long day already. And we are yeah. brought to you by AffordableMedicalUSA.com. You see the graphic right above my head. That's 803-926-1493. They are home of the game day chair. And uh, on top of being on all those platforms, we are also on all of your podcast platforms uh, posted pretty shortly after the show was over. So, again, appreciate you all joining us. Chris, I'm going to go to you first here, man. Just what was your initial – we're going to dive into details, but just your initial sort of uh, top-of-the-head thoughts on South Carolina's loss to Tennessee to start the year? Well, I, I think in some ways it played out like we thought and that I think both of us, West thought this was going to be a close game between two teams who were fairly evenly matched. Tennessee had the advantage in some uh, facets of the game, whether it's personnel or whatever you want to call it. South Carolina may have had the advantage in certain areas. Um, But overall, it was a close game. As we saw by the score, it was a four-point game at the end of the day, which is what we thought it would be. Um, And the only question, I think, was which team would come out on top. Now, going back, man, to what we talked about last week, this was my number one takeaway. And in our breaking down the keys piece that came out on Gamecock Central on game day on Saturday was we talked about how two teams that are evenly matched like these two, it was going to come down to which team made the least amount of mistakes and who won the rushing battle. And even more than the rushing battle, which Tennessee did win 130, I think yards to about 89 for South Carolina. Um, even more than that was just the mistakes. Um, both teams had some explosive plays. Both teams made some mistakes. South Carolina made more in key areas. And we'll certainly, I'm sure, break down some of those. 
um, as we dive into more detail on the game. But that was my biggest takeaway. South Carolina just made um, a few more mistakes in critical, you know, situations or instances that uh, ended up losing the game, and it, it was a close game. And so that's why they they did not win on Saturday. Yeah, and I think you look – these games never – they never come down to one play, yeah. even though it's easy to sit here and say – you know, it's easy to circle one play, right, and say, oh, well, that that's the game – you know, that's what lost the game. Never comes down to one play. But it does come down to, what, five to ten – you know, somewhere in that range plays, I think, when you have two teams that are are somewhat evenly matched. And, you know, I, I don't think anybody is going to watch that game and confuse these two teams as being, like, dominant SEC teams. I, I think certainly if a couple things go differently, South Carolina could win the game. If they – I mean, if they played ten times um, – you know, how many, you know, how many ways would it go? Would it go Tennessee's way six, seven? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it would be a dramatic shift, uh, you know, where one team wins nine times if, if they were to play 10. Two fairly even teams, but the problem with South Carolina, um, you know, is that they just particularly, you know, if you look back in the last maybe 10 games or so, they have not been able to go out and make those key plays that are needed. And certainly, I think, like you said, Tennessee had their mistakes. South Carolina unable to really capitalize on some of those. I think you look and the early special – both teams had really big special teams mistakes. And Tennessee's came towards the beginning of the game. We all saw South Carolina's um, at the very end of the game. And South Carolina really was set up. I mean, if you think about it, I'm thinking off the top of my head, one of the few times that South Carolina started a drive in really great field position was off of the Tennessee special teams error. When Once Tennessee sort of flipped the field, Carolina's playing, you know, from out of their own goal line uh, several times. And, and some of that was from fielding a punt, you know, cl- too close to the goal line. But still, um, you, you even look at that early on, though. Tennessee makes a big mistake. South Carolina had momentum. Defense was playing very well to that point. Offense actually was playing very well to that point, had the big first drive, but then are really not able to do anything at all with the ball on that drive. And you even look back, you you can't sit here and say that we know how the game would play out, right? But who knows what happens if you have an early 14, even 10-point lead, you know, if you're South Carolina there. So just – so, I mean, so many different things that you could turn to if you're going to pick, you know, five, eight, ten plays in this game. The pick six, though, obviously would, would be one of those top probably five plays that are a difference maker in this game. And the thing I, you know, you go back and you look at that play, Chris, it was really just, I, I would say, a, a botch like in every phase from the very beginning. And all all four of these things had to happen in order for the play to be the big play that it was. First, you had initial pressure directly off the edge. Um, that forced Colin to step up into the pocket. Then you had a throw that is a little bit behind Shy Smith. Then you have Shy it's, – it's a still a catchable ball though, right? Then you have um, the ball gets tipped, it's picked off. 
Then, and maybe even the back, probably the backbreaker in this is that unable to get him on the ground to turn a bad play, you know, into an awful play is that he was able to return it for a touchdown as opposed to giving your defense a shot at getting a stop there. So when, when you have a play like that, it's like everything that possibly could have gone wrong went wrong on that play. And and it, it costs you. That's one of those plays you circle. And the the thing is, there's going to be a lot of games during this ten game SEC schedule, Chris, that come down to those probably ten plays because there are going to be a lot of close football games. Yeah, that's something that you know Muschamp himself harped on a lot, um, telling the guys that you know he felt like out of their ten games. They'd probably have seven or eight that came down to seven or eight plays or five or six or whatever sort of their number is. And it certainly played out that way in this game, um, whether you pick out things that happened early, things that happened late. You know, going back to the punt situation with Tennessee, that was one that I circled early in the game. I just sort of had a feeling that it was going to come back to bite them to, to not get a little bit more out of that because then you're – you know, you come down, you got a lot of momentum, you scored on your opening drive, that goes as well as it possibly could. You get a big stop, Tennessee's backed up, you get great field position. I think they're at the 38-yard line. So you pick up five yards, you feel pretty good about getting three points there, you know, at least. Um, maybe you can do better, and then Tennessee's the one playing from behind. South Carolina ended up playing from behind, you know, later in this football game. So – you know, you, you end up losing three yards instead of gaining three, five, whatever it may be. But now you're punting again. Then Tennessee goes down. Obviously, they tie the game. They score. Um, you know, the play you mentioned with Shy Smith, Will Muschamp pointed out they had, I think, Nick Muse or otherwise, someone playing tight end was, was open. You know, mm-hmm. so that was another aspect of that. Um, I go back to, um, obviously, the Nick Muse you know, the ball, Colin Hill threw a ball that was a little high and out in front, but he got two hands on it. I think Will Muschamp would say, he's used this phrase before, you're on scholarship, catch the ball <laughs> type of thing. So that was one, because in that situation, South Carolina is second and 15, and they're in second and 15 because Xavier Leggett false starts, right, um, in great field position. Um, there's been a lot of talk about that decision of field goal versus touchdown. Really, at that time, you shouldn't be in it because you, you should be first and 10 or second and 10, and then you should have that ball completed and, and be in better position. Leggett had another drop on a third down on sort of a back shoulder ball. Would have been a tough catch, but it hit him, you know, in between the numbers. Um, you know, you look at the punt return mistake earlier, um, and we can – I'm sure we'll dive into that a little bit more. There's a lot to dive into here. And South – I mean, part of it, dude, was – and I don't want anybody in the comments or on Gamecock Central to say, well, they're making – there's absolutely no excuses. South Carolina should win that game. They, they should be 1-0 in the win column right now. But, you know, we talk about how this is a low margin of error team. They can't have those types of critical mistakes happen, and they can't – they're compounded when other things happen. I mean, that punt bouncing, you know, the way it did. There's a little bit of misfortune there, right? There's a little bit of misfortune when, you know, earlier in the game – you got a third down. Shy Smith gets absolutely mugged. No call. So you got a punt. Now, if South Carolina is an elite team, you can overcome that, but they're not. So what I'm saying is, number one, you you know they didn't execute well enough to win. Made too many mistakes. But there were other things that happened that certainly helped that process along a little bit for them. 
Um, so a lot to clean up, a lot to clean up for sure. Yeah, I, you know, and in that same category, as far as the margin for error there, I feel like th- there were some improvements, I think, in how this offense is structured. I yeah. think you, you get a feel for what Mike Bobo's trying to accomplish. Um, I don't think they're good enough or explosive enough right now to negate negative plays, right? When, when they're behind the sticks, um, some, some teams, really the rules of football, some of the elite offenses we see in college football, the rules of football don't apply, like the old school things of like stay ahead of the chains, stuff like that. First and 15 or second and 17, whatever, they, they just erase it. You know, because they're they're that good, that explosive. South Carolina, not a team that is going to be able to do that. So when you have, um, you know, plays like the the screen ball that gets batted and Colin just reacts and catches, you know, catches it instead of just batting it down. Now you're in second, and I think that was seventeen, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. it, you you can't erase those plays. Um, you know, they're they're behind the sticks, really, with the game on the line. Um, you know, in the second, well, what, what ended up being the final drive, actually, the one where they kicked the field goal on, you know, fourth and 12. Uh, you know, they're behind the sticks there. And basically, um, you know, if it goes differently, if you have a catch, it, it's different. But just it, it, they put themselves in some of those spots, and it's really, really hard to, um, you know, to sort of negate those. Let, all right, so offensively, I feel like – and. I mean, we're going to try to make sense of all this, but I, I mean, the the notes because I I was rewatching the game today. The notes that I have made are just like all over the place because I feel like there's so many little things that yeah. I've I've struggled to like sort of group it into some bigger topics, you know. But let's start with the offense. I think let, let's go with a positive. Thirteen, Shy Smith. Um, I think Mike Bobo came into this game. And one thing, what have we always heard about Mike Bobo this entire offseason is that he's going to base his offense around what he has. And we've seen him be a very much, you know, eye formation, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. We've seen him use some up-tempo stuff. We've seen him more spread. He's going to sort of build his offense around his strengths. At one point, I believe we both agree that that answer was probably going to be number one, Marshawn Lloyd. Um, that's that option is not there. Obviously, I yep. think he went into this game and he said, "Where's my Where's my best mismatch? Where's who can who can make plays for me?" And I think he circled number thirteen and said, "Let's find a way to get Shy Smith the ball," and they and they did. Um, you know, for the most part. Shy played really well, made some plays, and put the offense in a position with some explosives to, you know, to to score. And and they scored more than I thought, honestly, more than I expected. So I think you give him credit as far as taking what he has and trying to build the offense around it. Now, we're going to get into Florida, I'm sure, a little bit at the end of the show, but definitely this week. Now, Florida is going to turn around. They're going to circle number 13, and they're going to say, that guy's not going to be the one to beat me. We'll see if somebody else can. But um, I thought, first and foremost, a very clear indicator of what we've been hearing about Mike Bobo 
And that said, he's going to try to mold his scheme around what he has. And to me, that says what we saw out there says that he thinks Shy Smith is sort of, you know, may, maybe his one true big big weapon. I think. Yeah, for sure. And he, he did a really good job, I think. And look, it, it will be even more so as the season goes on. Now that people have some stuff of okay, how is Mike Bobo using Shy Smith? How is he schemed him open on tape? Florida's certainly going to key in on that. But Tennessee had to come into this game. They, you know, they know what they're doing too. And coming in, they had to be looking at this game cut roster, and they're also circling Shy Smith. And so I thought Mike Bobo did a really good job of putting him in a lot of different situations, different ways to get the ball in his hands, short, long, whatever it may be, in a variety of plays. Um, he really changed it up a good bit. They ran a lot of different stuff, which we knew, you know, as you said, Wes, it's going to be sort of a staple of what he does. I think he sort of kept it unpredictable maybe some formations where you're expecting one thing to get another. We saw some shifts, you know, for example, one, I remember South Carolina came out in eye personnel. They shifted some things to where they're now in like a single back. So, you know, just some different things like that, where he's going to give some eye candy and run some different plays out of different formations. And he just did a really good job. I thought of scheming shy Smith open, getting him into some one-on-one situations where he can go use his athleticism to win. And, uh, he was up to the challenge, you know, for the most part on that. So, you know, the first drive was great. South Carolina obviously stalled out, you know, the rest of the first half from there. But here's what I go to. The second half, you know, in South Carolina's defensively, they gave up too many explosives. Um, but Tennessee was really bad offensively on third down, and so – Carolina had some opportunities in the second half to go get the ball and, and try to drive the field. He scored 20 points in the second half. They didn't do that all year last year, you know, and, and I know that's a low bar, you know, to clear when you look at what the offense did last year, but they scored, I think, 28 against Charleston Southern. You sort of take that game out. It's complete from start to finish domination, but they, they didn't score 20 against any other team. You go back to 2018, that was a better offense, even though it was up and down. They scored 25 times, and they were 4-1 and one in those games. You know, so um, I think the only exception was A&M where they got down 16 to nothing in that game. So that's sort of an outlier. So second-half production and adjustments. How, how much did we talk about that last year, Wes? I mean, it was a huge point in the fan base of can they adjust in the second half. And what we saw was they did. Will Muschamp mentioned in Sunday night that Mike Bobo came in, I think, on Sunday – uh, first thing said, hey, we should have opened it up a little bit more, you know, earlier in the game. They sort of passed to set up the run a little bit. And, and the run game did, passing game and the running game got going a little bit more in the second half. But again, you know, there were some things to like offensively. The the issues are still there. There's still not a lot of playmakers on the perimeter. They got to try to situate that, especially that now people have some tape on Shia Smith to see how they're going to use him. Um, they got to play better up front. The receivers have to block better on the perimeter you know, in the run game and in the screen game. Um, offensive line can play better quarterback. I mean, they can all be better. Um, but I thought there were some encouraging signs for the offense because I'm with you, Wes. They, they played a little better offensively than than I anticipated in this in this game. Yeah, and certainly I would say, Chris, um, considering some, some, of the, some of the issues we know they have on offense right now yeah. as far as unproven talent. Um, by the way, South Carolina um, announcing that the Vandy game will kick off at noon 
I saw thanks for thanks to somebody in the comments. It already went away from me, but um, for pointing that out, they did just announce that Nooner against Vandy. Uh, that will be two weekends from now, obviously after Florida this weekend. So uh, let's talk Colin Hill. I, w- I was a little bit, I mean, in in some in some ways, I was glad that we're on Twitter fighting about football instead of talking about you know, other things like it it was nice for football to be the topic and football to be controlling my Twitter, but man, some, I mean, some of the, and I don't know if it's anybody on here or not. So I, you know, I'm not going to point fingers, but there are people before the first half is over calling for Colin Hill to be benched on Twitter. And I'm just like, this is exhausting. Um, I thought the totality and here's the thing there, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect game for a quarterback. We can all sit there and say, well, he missed this open guy or, you know, he didn't see this open guy. You can really break a game down and and point out mistakes of, of anyone, I think, any quarterback. Patrick Mahomes on Monday Night Football tonight, um, who is, you know, maybe the best player in the league, certainly most explosive player in the league as far as creating big plays in that offense. He's going to make mistakes. But dude, going back, and I'm um, I'm about halfway through my like really just detailed rewatch where I watch a play, back it up, watch it again. I I thought Colin, especially as it sort of rolled on in the second half, and they did extend the field a little bit and sort of attack them vertically, like you're talking about. Um, I thought he was solid, man. I mean, I I don't think he was near the reason that they lost, especially considering some of the protection issues and the fact that they, they've got to get more from their other, from their other wide receivers. Obviously they got a good bit from shy. Um, Xavier Leggett had some good moments, great catch down the field, but otherwise they got to get some more in the passing game from these other guys. So I, I don't really get, I know PFF was really high on Colin Hill with their grading system. I, I don't think Colin Hill is the problem. No, he wasn't. And, and and it is easy to sort of pick out some things of, you know, like you said, Wes, he missed a guy here. He held the ball too long here. I, th- I think Muschamp said that they had two sacks that were on the O-line, maybe one that was on Hill, one that was on a receiver, I think, or something. Um, I, yeah, there. so I, I just watched the play. There, It was first half. Um, Colin had Josh Van. It was the third down. He had Josh Van over the middle. And um, he looked off of him too early, and it ended up being like a covered sack. But I'm assuming that that was sec. I think it was like mid second quarter. South Carolina was just on the fringe of Tennessee territory and got sacked. I think that was the one that was on Hill, um, as far as how you would credit the sack. But but yeah. Anyway, continue. No, so I mean, look. Here's the thing: he didn't put the ball in danger. I know, and. Um, you know, he, he's going to get sort of that – the game manager designation and all of that. But, look, th- this offense needs somebody to manage the game. You, you, you can't look at this roster – you could maybe say, well, play Luke Doty, he's the most dynamic guy. And, yeah, that's true, right? But do you have the full scope of the offense? Is he ready? There's a lot of different things to that. Colin Hill has shown in his career when healthy, like at Colorado State, he's willing to take shots. He'll push the ball down the field. Um, he's he's not going to go out and just play it safe all the time. I think he runs the offense. If he's called – if he and Bobo are on the same page about taking a shot, he'll try it. 
they didn't have as many opportunities. First half, they didn't dial up as many. Mike Bobo said, again, going back to what I said earlier, he told Muschamp that he felt like they needed to stretch the field more. They did that in the second half. They took some shots. Um, so I think it's sort of with this offense, with these questions, you might need a steady hand. Now, it's easy to second guess it. Maybe they could have gone. I mean, I think that would have been rash, but let's say they would have gone to Ryan Holinsky in the second half. Maybe he goes out there and starts lighting it up. I mean, we don't have the hindsight of knowing that, but you know, this is a guy that I think is going to sort of give them a steady hand. And I think he showed that. I don't think he played nearly as poor, you know, as some people are making it out to be, he he wasn't on target on every throw held up, you know, but I mean, there, there are things like you said, Wes, we can go through, every quarterback performance and pick out some things. And you got to keep in mind, man, that it's not like he's, he's out there with, I don't know, pick, you know, the, the 2012 version of the Gamecock receiving core. It's just not there. And so, I, you know, and then their top running backs out and then, you know, they're bringing some guys along and, and maybe those guys get better. Everybody's got to get better, but I, I was a little bit, I shouldn't be surprised because the backup quarterback, or quarterbacks are always the most, you know, popular people on the team, particularly after a loss. But I was, I guess, a little bit taken aback at sort of how extreme some of that stuff, you know, was. Yeah, so I, I think if we look at this thing going forward offensively, offensive line, I, I think they've got to shore up the right tackle spot, right? Um it felt like the offensive line found a little bit more in the running game in the second half. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not there yet on my rewatch, but uh, found it seems it seems like they found something sort of on the edge in the running game. Like Tennessee yeah. was getting sucked inside, Tennessee was not setting the edge, and South Carolina was finding something just outside of like you know the tackle and then further out in the perimeter. So uh, they were able to find some things there. Running backs. Ran the ball well, which I or ran the ball hard, I should say, which I think we expected. Um, you still have a little bit, maybe different skill set from all those guys, and I, I think that's something that I still don't have a feel for. Is will who, who's going to get the most carries this year? You know, I know it's sort of going to be by committee. I and, and your eyes can sort of deceive you because sometimes who's running the ball best um, is about who's getting who happens to be in there when there's better blocking, you know, but it felt to me, and, and maybe that was sort of a surprise, um, but the surprise to me was I felt like when Deshaun Fenwick was on the field, it just seemed like some good things happened. Like he made some guys miss. He was pretty good in the passing game, um, you know, and I've sort of I've, – I've been all on the Zaquandre White um, train – and I still think all three of those guys are going to keep getting their chances. But I, I do th- think there were some encouraging signs from Deshaun Fenwick. And you sort of have to – me personally, I pull for a guy who you can see the improvement, you can see the development. He could have transferred a couple of years ago. He stuck it out. And, um, you know, I, I think there are some encouraging signs from, from the running backs, but also don't really have a feel for necessarily how that spot's going to play out as the year goes on. Yeah, I, I definitely thought there were some encouraging signs. Kevin Harris did a good job running through contact. You know, um, White was, you know, he was the one I was most intrigued to see, you know, because we hadn't seen him yet at all um, at South Carolina, rather. I think it just so happened that some of the plays that were called from him, he just didn't really have anywhere to go. 
know, they had a little screen design for him on the perimeter where he just sort of got immediately waylaid. They missed a block. Um, there were a couple others. You can sort of see that little bit of wiggle that Ju- Muschamp always says juice. He always, you know, he has that. You can sort of see it. You can see the movement ability. He's sort of um, slinky, maybe. I don't know if that's a good word, but it, you know, maybe he continues to get more and more opportunities. But Harrison Fenwick, I thought played pretty well. There was one play. I want to say it was a third down. You may remember the one I'm talking about. I may not be right on that, but Mike Bobo designed a play for Deshaun Fenwick. He had him aligned in the shotgun to the right of Colin Hill, and he leaked him out toward the flat, and he ran sort of a little angle across the field just to single him up with a linebacker, and Fenwick ran by him and called a pass and turned it upfield and got a first down. He's, he's got solid hands. Um, he, he made some guys miss, so – I thought there were some really good things there from both of those guys, which, again, was encouraging. Was the run game outstanding? Absolutely not, because, you know, again, they're, I think, 89 yards as a team, not good enough. Now, a lot of that was from negative plays, throw sack yardage in there, um, not a ton of opportunities, and they split carries. But those guys, I think, showed against, you know, in, in a good competition setting, um, that they did a pretty good job, I think. I did find myself wondering a lot during the game, what could Marshawn Lloyd have done on this play? You know, there was definitely a little bit of that. So, yeah, and nobody listening will want to hear us go on and on about that, but it is, right. you know, yeah. it's pretty obvious if if Lloyd is on the field and Jalen Brooks is on the field, I you know, I think this offense, the upside for this offense. Well, let's, even if we just leave it at that, the upside of this offense is a completely different conversation, I think, you know, than it is right now. I saw some people in the comments talking about this idea that that Luke Doty was the number two quarterback. That's why he didn't play receiver um, this week. I will say that would be, and I, I mean, I know where that came from. I would say that would be news to me. Um, been wrong before, but that would absolutely be news to me. And um feel like I'm pretty tied in on that. But anyway, so I think moving forward, man, like Muschamp said, tight ends, I think you saw some good things in the passing game other than, you know, obviously the drop everybody will point to. They do have to block better. That was something I didn't realize was such a big issue just watching it. But after Muschamp said it, I went back and that was I was focused on that, you know, and I, I was like, yeah, that's, you know, and sometimes it's just, not cutting off that backside defender. Well, when there's not a huge hole up front and your back sort of has to be patient, if you don't seal off that backside guy while your back is waiting on a hole to develop, he can sort of chase it down and, and stop it from behind or from the side. So I think that was a big issue for South Carolina. There were a couple plays on screens um, or jet sweeps where other receivers either got blown up or an offensive lineman. Um, didn't hit his guy, and then if if he makes that block, there is basically essentially one block away from springing. But that's the, I mean that's the difference, you know. Like that's the difference between a successful play and a non-successful play. If ten guys do it right, the one guy who doesn't, you know that that's that's what creates bad offense. I mean that that's sort of just it is what it is. So yeah. I um I think um, a, a lot to sort of go through with this offense. And I'm sure as the week goes on, I, let's save it. I want to sort of get into the depth of what we're seeing from this scheme as far as what they're just wanting to do, like what the plan is on offense from a big-picture standpoint. I do think, and I, I saw 
everybody started talking about it in the comments there. Some more downfield passing in the first half. Certainly when on the in the occasions where Tennessee was stacking the box, you know, getting out of a run call and changing it, you know, to maybe a more of a vertical call or or even Chris, I thought the the play action out of when they were under center, running play action and getting Hill out um, you know, on those bootlegs, very successful. And Tennessee really struggled to cover that. And yep. some of that is you you don't see that as much anymore, right? Because you just don't see teams under center and you run these like levels routes where you have um, a flat guy and then you have a guy on an over route over top of him and the quarterback's reading a high low basically. And it's really hard for defenders to cover that both in man and zone, I feel like. So um, there, there were some things to really like about the offense. But before we get to the defense, and I want to get into some things here because I do think there's there's a lot of – for me, for the defense, there's a lot of nuance to how I think they played because I don't think it's – I don't think it's accurate to say that they played really well. I don't think it's accurate to say that they played terrible. I just – I think there's some some nuance to – um, why it played out the way it did. But first, Chris, tell everybody about AffordableMedicalUSA.com and the game day chair. They make this show possible for being a daily show. So tell everybody about them real quick. Yeah, so you guys, you're at home watching the game. Got to have a comfortable chair, right? So I encourage you to check out AffordableMedicalUSA.com or call 803-926-1493. Affordable Medical Equipment and AffordableMedicalUSA.com is home of the game day chair. You see it up there in the top left corner. Um, They're our main show sponsor. These guys are really good. Go to the website. If you go to AffordableMedicalUSA.com, search for the Maxi Comfort Chair with Twilight. Now, what is Twilight? It is like a zero-gravity position where you're laid back. Got all sorts of controls on this chair. Brisa fabric, which is what they're using in Gulfstream Jets. Variety of positions. Super comfortable experience for your game day watching experience, Netflix, whatever you got going on. Check out this chair by going to AffordableMedicalUSA.com or calling 803-926-1493. You see it up in the top left corner. If you're on GamecockCentral.com, on our GC Live content page, there's a direct link to it. If you're on YouTube, which we hope you are, there's also a link in the description. So make sure you go there. uh, Take a look at it. See what you think. Check it out. It'll make a great game day viewing experience for you, and we appreciate them sponsoring the show. Yeah, absolutely. If um, if you're interested in sort of, you know, having a little more comfort at your house, uh, check those guys out and get the game day chair, and then, um, you know, uh, let us know how it is because I'm, I'm still waiting on them to ship me mine, Chris. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. uh, my free one, by the way. But, okay, so let's go defense. I think, first of all, and I, I see some comments coming in, or at least one about Cam Smith. Let, let's get this part out of the way. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. I wanted a career in which everything would matter, so I joined the CIA, and now I help protect our families, our friends, and every fellow American. Find out how everything you do in your career can impact our nation. Visit cia.gov slash careers to learn more and apply. Um, I mean, here's the thing. 
nobody's going to sit here and argue that Cam Smith had, you know, had some great game. But I think it's worth pointing out, first of all, this is Cam's really first ever SEC action. And let, let's forget about the special teams play for a second. Were there some some plays made against him in coverage, you know, in man coverage? Yes, absolutely. Every, everybody saw the game. But that that happens to cornerbacks from time to time. And when you're a young cornerback learning to play at the SEC level against SEC receivers and the other team smells blood in the water, which let's be honest, they did. They saw 24 was not on the field. They're not going one's way. No, teams haven't tried to pick on one his entire career, right? Correct. So they're going after nine because they sense the um, inexperience. Well, they had some success, so they're going to keep going after nine. But that doesn't mean in, in this Twitter world of football, Twitter reactions, that doesn't mean you give up on Cam Smith because – he gives up a few plays because one, he's a talented kid. He's a really good athlete. And the difference between a completed ball and an incomplete ball in SEC play is a very s- small window. And one misstep or one bad technique, one split second of bad eyes can be the difference in catching you know the guy catching it on you or not. So we we got to just sit back. Cam Cam had to watch the film. He had to you know he he hurt more than any any fan. So I think we got to get out of this whole well get nine off the field all this BS. The kid played for the first time against SEC competition. Some mistakes were made, but he's going to be fine. He's going to be needed, and he's still got a really bright future. So there's no reason to give up on Cam Smith because of one game. And there's really no reason. You can point out you know, that it, there were some struggles. There's no reason to go in on Cam as a person because of what happened on a football field. And, yes, the special teams play was very unfortunate. Like you said, man, there, there, was, some, there was some bad luck involved there. Everybody has to get away from that ball. We all know that. Jamie was obviously yelling. I don't I don't know. Is it poison? Is that what USC uses? I know some people do poison. Some people do Peter, I think. Some teams do fire. Um, he didn't hear it. He didn't get away from it. It also just took a really unlucky bounce. But that, that's why you have to get away from it, right, is that yeah. the ball can bounce different ways. But I'm going, you know, we all saw it. There's no need to stack on to Cam Smith because he himself did not lose the game. So let's move on from that and let Cam get back out there and show that he's capable of playing at this level because he is. Yeah, I mean, and I think there's a few different things that go into it, man. Not to harp on it forever, but we all know, like you said, man, we saw we saw the film, we saw the plays, some of the plays, it, you know, those, those weren't good, right? But, and I want to say something on the punt too. So I went back and watched, just sort of studied the punt play. You know, Cam's trying to hold up a guy there on the edge um, to give his returner a chance. He's not, you're, you're not going to be able to try to block 
another guy in the SEC while you're watching the punt. That's why they communicate it. So Jamie does call it out. He points at the ball and he calls it out, but he points it out and yells out, and you could hear it on the broadcast, whatever he said, I think on the second bounce. So after the ball bounces twice, there's literally about one second, one and a half seconds until the ball hits Cam, and he's jockeying with the other player, and the other player sort of pushes him back a little, and the ball bounces there. I mean, it is what it is. Was you know, I, I don't even know. I don't even know who to blame on that one. You know, like or what to blame? Maybe nothing. You know, uh, and some people may criticize me for saying that, but that's fine. I really don't know. I don't know what you to what do you attribute that? I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, he got beat on a long touchdown. Yeah, he had a missed tackle. Um, maybe there's some other things, but man, I, I remember sitting in the stands f- years ago and and people screaming to get Stefan Gilmore off the field. I mean, just screaming. You think you think he's the worst player in the world? So, and I'm not saying that Cam's that, but this is like you said, man. This is the kid's first real legitimate action against SEC competition. And the other thing, and and this one always sort of ticks me off, is look, we re- we cover recruiting, we love covering recruiting, but people get their expectations unrealistically high in some cases. There, there was so much talk about Cam during the recruiting process. People were absolutely livid that he wasn't ranked this or that. A lot of people had never seen the kid play, and and they go crazy about what he was ranked. And, but then when he gets here, if he doesn't live up to this ranking that they think falsely think he should have had after one game, then it's his career's over. You know, like it's just sort of outrageous. But anyway, I get a little fired up about that. But yeah, did, did he play well? No, he didn't play well. Um, but I don't think, you know, with any player, it's time to throw in the towel after one game. <laughs> I just think it's sort of absurd. So um, we'll see. He does have ability. Can he get better? Yeah, he can, and he probably will. I don't know what his career looks like, but he's he's definitely got more ability than what's shown. And I think what happened, particularly on the punt play, was unfortunate. I think there are a lot of different things that had to happen for that play to even happen. Yeah, so, all right, let's talk um... – Let's talk defensive line. Um, obviously, and uh, do, do you have the numbers right in front of you, Chris, um, on Tennessee running game? Tennessee running game, I don't, but I can get them up very All quickly because right. I just had them. Yeah, that's cool. So, I thought first off, number six, Zach Pickens, um, I think is a man child. And <laughs> – or, or that no, a man child. Hold on, scratch that. A man child has way different implications from what I'm trying to say. Zach Pickens is a man beast because my eyes instantly were drawn to number six early on in this game, as some of his um, folks up in the upstate were pointing out. Six was getting held a lot, still <laughs> making plays, still getting into the backfield, and. I thought was easily South Carolina's most disruptive force um, on the interior of the defensive line. Um, I think six, as this year goes on, is definitely going to play a lot more probably starting this week. I think Enigbare also had a, had a really good game as far as South Carolina's defensive front goes. I know PFF had him with like eight stops, which is their sort of metric for – a play that keeps uh, the offense from having a successful play, uh, which I think is – I don't even know exactly how they, they figure it out, but eight, quote, stops on a PFF metric is 
very, very impressive in one game. So um, to me, the guys on the defensive front that played really, really well, I would circle those two. And then I would say the other guys didn't quite flash as much to me. Now, what does that mean long-term? Now, I think certainly I see why South Carolina started both of the, quote, veterans in the interior. Generally, that's your guys who are doing what they're supposed to be done, you know, doing on any given play in practice, are more consistent, and know exactly where they're supposed to be. But as time goes on, six, you know, I, I think is going to be on the field more and more. And then, you know, Enigbare, the, the fact that he can uh, he can play some defensive end for you, he can play some buck for you, obviously, as he did last night. I think in time, I look at Jordan Birch. To me, Birch and Pickens just look a little different. And I mean that as a extreme compliment in that they physically, athletically, size, speed, burst, they look like future NFL-type athletes. So with Birch, I think if we're going to read into T-Rob's comments last week when he said, you know, basically it's our jobs as, as coaches to sort of narrow it down and put Birch in a place where he can succeed, I don't think maybe being a freshman one game in that Birch is ready to just go out and be the starting buck. But I think as the year goes on, you maybe look at ways to get all those guys on the field at the same time, six, 52 Enigbari, and then three Birch. Because Birch, when he was in there, he did flash. He only played, um, is it 14 snaps maybe, um, 11, something like that. It wasn't a ton of snaps, but he did flash. But But as far as the guy that's most ready right now, on that defensive line to maybe even take that Ken Law role as like being a disruptive force. I really, really like what we saw from Zach Pickens. Yeah, man, he played hard. He was uh he was powerful. He was quick. There there was a lot to like about what he showed. Jordan Birch, like you said, flash is, is a really good word he had to play. He just there was one play, I think the tackle sort of kicked out a little bit to block him. He just went right around him, just knifed in there and tackle for loss. Those are the types of things that you mentioned different in a good way. That that's when you when you recruit guys like Jordan Birch and Zach Pickens that move like that at that size, that's that's what they can do. They can make plays like that that can potentially change a game for you. Enigbari, man, he has really, really progressed. You know, from it's a kid that when he came in, South Carolina was really high on big recruiting win over Georgia. First year, he plays inside at like 265 pounds. Some obviously was overmatched there, but he really started to come on last year. We started seeing his pass rush potential. Um, at times, they you know couldn't really be blocked, and we saw more of that. I mean, he was he was all over the place. He was really active in the run game on the edges on the perimeter. He was active rushing the passer. Aaron Sterling, I think, did some good things. Again, just a consistent, steady force from what I saw on the perimeter sometimes, but. Definitely, that I'd pick out the same two guys, man. I thought they really did a really good job. Ernest Jones, I thought was really active. You know, when you're talking about upfront play, so um, I, I thought those are all were all positives. Yeah. So now, if I think if you're Carolina defensively, you just need more of that, right? Like you, you need for us for more of these guys to be flashing. I I would circle two, maybe three, but I, I think really my two biggest concerns from the defense, just based on the one game would be um, the first down runs allowed. It seemed like if you look at the actual numbers, it's not like Tennessee ran up and down the field against South Carolina. 
statistically. But there were some first down runs where Tennessee was able to put itself in position uh, to where, you know, if they're second and three, second and two, they can call any play that exists and feel, you know, pretty comfortable with it. Um, So when you sort of first down, you know, there's a decent chance you're getting a run call and you get knocked back potentially like, like I talked about in the interior, that's an issue. And also the fact, Chris, that dating back to last season, this defense has struggled to create turnovers. And that's something that you look at last year. I mean, let's go back to, to this staff's first year here. Creating turnovers was how they got to a bowl game, I think, because that was a defense that um, was not you know as talented, but played well within the scheme, played bend but don't break. They got pushed around up front, but they had some really just, um, I would say, well-timed turnovers that year where teams would drive the length of the field on them and then they'd find a way to force a field goal or create a turnover in the red zone. Um, and, and this is we're one game into this year. I understand that. But as far as the trend going back to last year, they just have not been able to get the ball off of people. And you look at South Carolina, we talked about it, the pick six and then the big special teams play two major, you know, turnovers for South Carolina, whereas you don't get that from your end. If South Carolina forces one turnover in this game, it's probably a completely different game. And that part of their their DNA, because for two years, they had more turnovers than anybody in the conference, including Alabama. Mm-hmm. The fact that that's sort of gone away has been a huge, I would say, issue as far as the difference in winning and losing games uh, the last year or so. There's no doubt. And, it, and it's sort of like, what do you attribute that to? You know, because you say, well, it's coaching. Well, they, they coach that there has been some coaching, you know, changeover from that 2016 and 2017 years, but some changeover, but you know, in the secondary is the same coaches. <laughs> and so they, they coach it pretty much the same way. So what is it? Is it, a little bit of just not getting as many opportunities. Is it missing the opportunities? It's different players. Certainly when you got like a Sky Moore, you know, Chris Lamonts, these good these guys sort of showed a knack for it. So maybe that's it too. Maybe it's a combination of all those things. But I mean, Jeremy Pruitt said it after the game. He said, you know, we didn't play all that great. Um, I didn't think we'd play all that great, but we didn't turn it over and that's why we won. I mean that that's what it came down to. Again, we said going into this game, we think it's going to be close. Um, it's going to come down to fewest mistakes. And so South Carolina made a bunch of them, and that included the turnovers, right? I mean, mm-hmm. were, one of them was not just a turnover, but a touchdown, as you laid out. And then you had one that just happened to be on a, on a game-ending play because they, they couldn't get the ball back at that point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, how do you fix that? I don't know. But it would certainly help this team um, – a low margin of error team again, go back to that. If they could get into positive on the turnover column, they did a fairly good job. I mean, you had one turnover offensively, technically less than ideal that it goes for a pick six for sure. And a lot of things had to happen for, for that to happen, but um, it's not like they came out and threw four picks mm-hmm. and a fumble, but they're going to have to be in the positive in that column in most of their games, I think, man, to, to be honest with you. So how do they fix that? I don't know, but that's what you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I thought um, in very limited action, Tonka Hemingway quietly 
um, did some good things as well based on my what I, how far I've gotten in the in the little rewatch that I'm doing. All right, let's hit a couple of questions. Uh, Travis uh, said, "How do you feel the dime defense worked? Look to create some good pressure. I, I do think at times they they did uh, go to a dime, and I think R.J. Roderick was pay, was playing that sort of dime spot. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be a good package for them. I think it'll be even better when they get Jamar Brown back as well, and it, it's nice for them to be able to do that and have some depth. Obviously, if they can get Izzy back this week, that's going to be big against um, an, an offense that is going to spread you out. So." That that's a package, you know. They they were in as much as we talked about regular package and four three and the Sam linebacker and all that stuff this year. Chris, they're in nickel a ton Saturday, and yeah. a lot of that is because of personnel that you're facing. You know that they're in three wides and then they're in the dime on you know on third down situations. So we're still going to see a lot of that, and I think we'll especially see a lot of that this week at Florida. All right, I'm going to answer a couple of questions from our insider forum. Um, obviously if you're not a subscriber come check us out we've had a few people even say they found us here on youtube or facebook and decided to give us a shot so if anybody else wants to give us a shot please come on over by the way um i know it's not chris the most uh relevant uh promo anymore but is is that still active yeah should be good man i think it's still i think it's still active so if any if anybody does want to get in um, if you're just curious about what's going on in the Insider Forum, just go to subscribe, <laughs> type in beat UT, and um, that was our code throughout last week. Type in beat UT. We're not really promoting it or anything right now, but for you guys that are, we got a lot of people on here. We appreciate y'all watching. Um, so it, that will give you 60% off your first year of GamecockCentral.com. Again, that's just code beat UT. If you want on, go ahead and put that in. And if you have any issues getting signed up, shoot uh, me an email or Chris an email, just Wes at Gamecock Central or Clark at Gamecock Central. Um, all right. W- speaking of, Chris, this question is from one of our members who is brand new and found us here on YouTube from Nate, who says um, he felt pretty good about Hill. That said, two issues for possible discuss- discussions. What changes, if any, are made to give him a little more time against what should be a pretty stout Florida defense? And what adjustments do you think South Carolina can make to stretch the field earlier in the game? You know, I think two good points. Um, I think you maybe early on, Chris, have to just make a concerted effort to try and get some stuff open downfield. Now, I think obviously, it it sometimes it doesn't it doesn't do a lot of good to just throw the ball downfield into coverage, but but there is there is some value from just letting the opponent know that you're willing to throw the ball downfield and that they have to think about it. Um, just like sometimes there is value from running the football, even if it's not really being all that successful, you have to sort of, you know, Muschamp calls it be be hard-headed in the run. That's something South Carolina did last year where they would get away from the run too much because it wasn't working as opposed to just mixing it in. If one thing, you know, we can say about Bobo's offense on Saturday, it was incredibly balanced as far as um, – run versus pass play calls mixed in some RPOs in there that were actually really successful, I think. But uh, so your take, I mean, it's kind of a hard question to, to answer. Some of it is just going to be execute better as far as the offensive line versus their defensive line. But I think continue to find out right tackle, figure that area out. And then I think as far as vertically 
you just have to make that a part of the game, right? And even even if you're running guys off and it's not there, you just have to dump the ball off to a safety valve. Just running those corners deep and running the safeties back makes them think about that as an option within your offense. Hitting it, obviously, is even better. But at least calling it, I, I think, um, is important. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see, you know, how Bobo structures things, how he dials it up. But it, it seems like they would. Now, a lot of some of it's going to depend on what how he believes Florida is going to attack, too. You know, it's easy for us to come say, all right, well, since they felt like they should have opened it up a little bit earlier in this game, that means they'll do that against Florida. Maybe not. You know, it, it depends on what they anticipate from Florida defensively. It depends on what Florida does during the game as well defensively. So there's some other factors there. It may be that they feel that coming out and running the ball more, you know, and, and how do they run the ball? Is it inside? Is it more perimeter based? Those are things that are hard to tell for us, you know, unless we just have an opinion on it, we aren't totally sure how Mike Bobo is going to choose to attack these guys. Um, we do know that Ty Grantham has a penchant for um, <laughs> Spencer Hall, always called it emotional blitzing really cracked me up, but he, he will heat it up, man. He'll, he'll bring some blitzes again. That depends on what, you know, he believes is going on too, but that will be a storyline to watch if South Carolina gets in some third longs um, in some passing situations. Will he heat it up and put pressure on that offensive front and on Colin Hill to try to move around? It's not super mobile guys we've talked about. But, um, you know, I think they're going to have to continue to try to scheme up some new sort of inventive ways to get Shy Smith the ball. Until mm-hmm. further notice, that's, that's, their, that's their bell cow, you know, in terms of – getting the football in space or even downfield. They got to work in the tight ends more. They do have to play better up front. So, you know, when you talk about changes, shuffling the tackle position, who do we see play there? Is it moving Wanham back over? Is it just trying someone else at right tackle? Is it sticking with what you got and seeking improvement? We don't quite know yet, but that's certainly a storyline to watch. And then these backs, you know, can they – there are some things that we saw that they could build off of. Will, will they be able to find a little bit more consistent and early success against Florida? Yeah, I think all those are, are good points. And the question for me, Chris, on a lot of these positions is how quickly are the younger guys going to be ready to play? Because, you know, it, it's very easy. Here, Here's the thing. It's very easy for, for me to sit here on the podcast and say, you know, Pickens needs to play more. Um, it's very easy. And, and I think with Pickens, the fact he is a second year guy, he's had some seasoning, he's been in there. It's probably a little bit more likely to happen. Whereas with Jordan Birch, you're still talking about a tr- absolute true freshman. So it's very easy. People on Twitter are going to see three out there and see he's big and faster than everybody and say, he's absolutely got to be on the field. And to an extent they're going to be right, but we're not in practice. And they're so, you know, it's easy to say that. And then we'll be the same people when South Carolina gets knocked out of a gap on a run play saying, well, why can't they stop the run? And it's, well, it might be because you played that young player and he didn't fit the run correctly. Right. You know? So yeah. as fans, media, all this, we tend to downplay the mental part, right? And we just see, oh, that guy's big and fast. He should be on the field. Um, and I'm getting to a point here, I promise. Uh, with – I tie this in on offense as well. With the receivers, at some point, you know, I, I think Rico Powers is going to have to get some opportunities. 
he was out there a very little bit. He had like one target maybe. Luke Doty was not on the field. I saw some people asking about that. He, did, he didn't get to play. Muschamp has said he will play this week. Um, you know, Jakari Caldwell down the line at some point. I, I mean, dude, I think that's a big key for this offense is going to be how quickly can those guys start to come on? Because we, you know, we see it every year. There's always a freshman that just slowly does more and more in practice. Then they get on the field more and more. And then what happens? They get more and more opportunities. And the hope, I think, if you're Carolina, both for the off, both for the offense this year and for the future, is that a couple of those guys, you know, can start to show that they have, you know, really good receive SEC receiver upside, and then they start to take the pressure off some of those other guys, and then, mm-hmm. then if you have shy, you have Xavier improving, and then maybe one other target. This is never going to be an offense that we say they have like an Alshon Jeffrey type guy, right? But if, if they can put three guys on the field that all can be decent threats, you can spread the ball around and, and make something work there, I think. So yeah. to me, that's sort of best case scenario is that some of these young guys on offense can play a little bit more this week, then play a little bit more than that week three. And then by week five, the offense is looking better and better, I think. So here's how I look at it, man, with the receivers. You know, obviously Shy did really good things. Xavier Leggett did some good things. You know, we saw a little bit more of that inconsistency, but he had some really crucial catches there. The one on the double move down the middle was a really good one. There's another thick little corner route later in the game. He did some good things, but but you're on it. I mean, I think Muschamp said it pretty well in this, and, and a lot of people are going to come back with this comment, well, that's – the staff's fault. They got to recruit more receivers. I understand that. I'm making a separate point. The team that's on the field is what the team is right now. Okay. They're not bringing in a recruiting class full of five new receivers in the middle of the season. So I'm talking about what's, you know, we're not talking about recruiting or any of those things. We're talking about what the roster is. And what he said is that, you know, aside from those two Smith and Leggett at receiver, none of the guys that played, did anything to affect the game. They didn't play fast enough to affect the game. So it's pretty blunt. But if you sort of watched, there there were a couple instances where maybe a guy could have gotten a ball, maybe more than a couple. Um, but they got to have better play there. And so does that mean playing powers more, giving Caldwell more of a shot? Maybe we'll find, you know, Jalen Brooks, maybe one day we find out what, what may or may not happen with him. But they do, whether it's Joyner or Van, being in there, whether it's Powers being in there, the guys behind Smith and Leggett have got to do more. You know, the coaches have to bring them along. When they get opportunities, they have to do more and execute. They're going to have to get better there because I just don't think that it's going to be something they can sustain all season to have Shy Smith catch 10 balls a game. If so, then Mike Bobo's earning his money, you know, for sure. Um, and maybe he does. He did a really good job game one, and I'm sure ten- Tennessee was anticipating it. So we'll see. But they got to find some more options there. Yeah, and I, I think, man, you uh, I, I guarantee there were Tennessee fans on message boards everywhere saying, why can't we cover the quick slant to that number 13? No but doubt. When, when they couldn't cover it, I I love the fact that Bobo said, if they don't cover it, we're going right back to it. And, um, and some of that was off of RPO, so it, it sort of just happened that way. But – um, 
I think that's actually a route that Shai um, runs extremely well. And that, that to me, Chris, goes back to stretching the field vertically because the more you can make teams sort of wonder if 13 is going to go deep on you, the more open that slant route will continue to be for him because he does he, – he runs it very explosively and he does a good job of catching the ball and continuing moving forward. There's no slowdown when he catches it. So I think that's something we'll continue to see. Uh, let's see. Uh, somebody asked about Chad Terrell. He's still coming back from injury and, you know, doesn't – I don't think really projects to, to be on the field much this year. Uh, let's see. We had a qu- another question on the insider form, Chris. I don't know if we want to hit this one. I, I kind of want to hit it just because it's from one of our subscribers. Um, most of the time, we're probably going to get into Florida later in the week, but we, we can throw these out there. From JoJo USC 1967, he's wanting over under. Maybe one of these would be a good buy or sell. I don't know. Florida, here's his over unders, and if y'all want to mention them in the chats as well. Florida getting 500 yards on offense. Um, a tight end with a tight end with eight catches, I guess for Florida he means a tight end with three touchdowns, and a Florida quarterback with four touchdown passes. So, excuse me, as I knock my mic over. Um, <laughs> but okay, we can sort of touch on this because I do want to touch on Florida a little bit. I will say, F- Florida looked great, obviously, and I haven't had a chance to go back and really watch them. I'm going to do that tomorrow, but also. This is an Ole Miss defense with a ton of questions, right? And a ton of issues, potentially, talent-wise. So, will Florida go up and down the field on South Carolina the way they did Ole Miss? Certainly, everybody, I think, watching on this stream or listening is hoping no. So, I don't know, Chris, necessarily that we should make Florida out into be an offensive juggernaut based on one week of action. Now, what we do know is that Trask knows his offense extremely well, knows where the ball is supposed to be, and can accurately get it there. And we know that Pitts is an absolute beast, and Carolina's going to need to find a way to cover him. Um, so we'll see. I mean, who? I don't know. Who do you put on on this guy? Do you do you play? I feel like you have to play some man coverage these days. Who can man up against Pitts and actually hold their own? I think that's a big question for South Carolina this week. It is, and I assume, yeah, I assume when he he mentioned is a tight end going to have eight catches and three touchdowns, that tight end is is named Kyle Pitts. So, yeah, yeah, it's a huge question. So, I don't, I wouldn't pick him to score three touchdowns. I would not be shocked on eight catches, five hundred yards. Probably go under. Maybe we'll make that our our buy or sell presented by Bishop Real Estate Group at some point. We'll decide on that. I think I'm going to do that midweek. We'll announce last week's winner. And, and do one this week. But, yeah, man, I mean, it's a challenge. You got Trask, a guy that did a nice job against South Carolina last year. Like you said, knows the offense well. He's going to deliver the football on time accurately. Um, Dan Mullen does a really good job offensively at, at creating mismatches and scheming things up. And they've got, you know, whether it's Pitts or Jacob Copeland, um, Grimes, they've got some guys that, that can play in space and cause some issues for you. So can South Carolina win up front? I have coming into this season, Florida had some questions about their offensive line, right? And that didn't show against Ole Miss. So can South Carolina do a better job against that O-line in effect and throw Florida out of rhythm? I think that'll be the key. 
if you let Florida's playmakers get into space and Trask has time, that's when you're going to have a whole lot of issues. I, I think even more than that, and there, it's all an issue, I think even more than that, my bigger question is can, can South Carolina find a way to score? You know, mm-hmm. that might be, and I could be end up with egg on my face, maybe Florida, you know, throws and runs for 700 yards in this game, puts up 50 points. I, I don't know. But uh, that that's an even bigger concern for me is just going down and being able to – when I say repeat the performance, you want to play better offensively than you did against Tennessee, but can you at least replicate what you put on the field last Saturday? They're going to have to do that or it's going to be tough to keep pace in my opinion. Yep, so we will see. We will continue to break this game down throughout the week. So tomorrow, South Carolina players will preview Florida. Will Muschamp will preview Florida. And um, at some point later this week, I believe we'll have a Florida um, sort of uh, media guest on to tell you about the Florida Gators as well. But um, I think that's going to do it for this show. I know, Chris, uh, you have an insider report. I'll have a Carolina Confidential with my take on the game. Um, that will usually be on Monday. So that that will probably be tonight, uh, early tomorrow morning at the absolute latest, depending on our other content. But, Chris, uh, you want to give them a little preview of the insider report? Yeah, man. So we got some some cool stats in there. Um, just sort of a little bit of a deeper dive into the contest. We we try to go, you know, we can leave it up to to fans to say that sucked and all those types of things. We try to go a little bit deeper and sort of tell you, you know, what things mean. Dive into the game, you know, rushing totals and key stats and some of the things that Mike Bobo did. You know, what needs to improve, what was good. Just try to dive into all that in the Insider Report. So that's up on GamecockCentral.com right now if you want to check it out. We got one final question there, Chris. They say Braves versus Reds. Who do you got? I, Dude, I am so nervous about this series. Yes. the Bra- Man, the Braves just have – Atlanta teams just have a way of finding a way to lose. Uh, you got Trevor Bauer going in game one for the Reds. Now some of these Braves are um, – banged up going into the going into the season or going into the playoffs. I don't know. I just I want them to win one series. If they win one series, get into the flow of the playoffs. Let's see what happens. But it is going to be really, really tough if they lose to Trevor Bauer in game one and then have the pressure of game two and game three. And <laughs> the following question is are you the starting catcher for game one? Yes, uh Darno is my cousin. So I'm going to start telling people that and just see if they believe me. But anyway, all right, y'all, that's it. He's Chris. I'm Wes. We're going to be here 2 o'clock tomorrow, Chris. Yeah, man, let's do it. We'll be here tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Tune in. If you missed the beginning of the show, go back, watch it on YouTube, or check it out on all the podcast um, you know, platforms, all that good stuff. Please uh, rate, review, subscribe, like, share, notifications. Uh, just push all the buttons. We'll see you tomorrow. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.